It's good to see everyone here, and uh, my honor to welcome you here. If you are visiting with us today, we want to especially welcome you and encourage you before you leave today. First of all, if you have any questions about our church and ministries, uh, please see one of our staff guys. We'll ask one of our members. We'd love to answer any questions that you have. But please stop by the guest table located in the lobby and pick up a guest bag. And there you have some information about our church. But we'd love to have a record of your visit also by filling out a guest card that's located at that table. Just a few quick announcements. Uh, today is a big deal for the church. This has typically been the day that we have more people on this campus than we do any other time of the year, and that is for Trunk or Treat. And that will begin today at 4 o'clock. It runs from 4 to 6. For all of you that have signed up to do trunks, first of all, thank you for doing that. Um, and today your instructions are if you could be here in place by 3.30, and we're going to ask everyone that is doing a trunk to please come in 
the uh, Cole Campbell entrance to your right in this parking lot, the bus farm parking lot. You can come in that way and we will get you parked in the semicircle that we typically use. Um, but again, be here by 3.30 if possible. And if you have not signed up for a trunk yet, just stop by the table out there in the lobby and just put your name on that list. And then if you decide at three o'clock, I wanna do a trunk and you got candy, just come on, we'll get you plugged in. Uh, second thing is that next Sunday, we begin Sunday school as we've mentioned. And uh, we'll be back on a regular schedule on a Sunday morning. Sunday evening, we will have the evening worship service. And just uh, for information purposes, we will be here in the Jennings building for our Sunday evening services. And that will begin at 6 o'clock instead of 6.30. So 6 o'clock next Sunday night. And then Wednesday night, we'll be back in our, all of our regular locations uh, beginning at 7 o'clock. But we are so glad to have you here. What a privilege it is that we get together and declare the glory of our great God and our Savior. You are blessed if you're here today. If you woke up this morning, you're blessed, and God is not finished with you yet. So I believe that you're here for a purpose today. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand, and let's prepare our hearts for worship, and let's sing to glorify Him and Him alone.
Thank you, praise team. As you know, last week we started uh, our prayer time back, and this is a time that you can come and uh, come by yourself. You can come with your spouse, come with your family, and you can literally pray for anything. This is kind of like our invitation before the invitation, but we do have some prayer requests. Uh, one of the privileges we have as Christians that we can intercede on, that, on behalf of others. Oftentimes it's health issues, and these are all health issues. We need to remember Brenda Helms in prayer. She's still at Fry Hospital. Remember her husband Rick, uh, they're wonderful people and they're going through a hard time right now, so please remember them. Also, uh, many of you know Jatana Elders back at Baptist and she's, uh, her oxygen, they just can't get it uh, regulated and Gary texted me this morning and asked if the, his church would, would pray for them and I'm going to encourage you to do that. And also my good friend Jeff Chapman is um, out of the hospital, he's in a re rehabilitation center and he'll be there for, I think, for about um, two weeks and I would encourage you to pray for him as well and there are others there's so many in your bulletin that you can lift up you may want to bring your bulletin with you if you feel comfortable as a praise team leads us in this time of, of worship I'm going to ask you to meet me here at this altar and then I'm going to have Mark to pray for us thank you so grateful to know you. And Lord, we, we thank you for loving us and Lord, giving us life eternal. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ alone. And Father, we don't walk in this life alone. We have you with, that lives within us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray for the needs of those that need you the most today. Father, we pray for those who are going through most difficult times. I pray for Rick, I pray for Brenda. I pray for Jatana. Lord, I pray for those, Lord, that uh, Lord that are struggling and those who've lost loved ones. Lord, I pray for Jeff as he's in rehab and going through the uh, a difficult time health-wise. Bless him. And Father, we want to worship you this morning. Father, not only do we want to pray for those in need, but we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, you've called us to, Lord, to just to, Lord, to be in awe who you are. And Lord, to be grateful, I pray for Trent and for his team there in East Asia. I pray, Father, for those who are serving you in foreign souls and in home grounds that are serving you as missionaries, be with their families as they're away from them. These holiday seasons, it's difficult. And Father, we want to thank you for loving us today. We want to thank you for our families that are here. I pray you pour out your blessings on each family here. Overlook our lives and use us for your benefit and for your honor and for your glory and for the furtherment of your kingdom that the advancement of the gospel might go forth. And Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
justice approached the bench where I stood condemned and declared me unworthy to be justified I faced the judge alone Said I. 
is up, my people? We are stoked to tell you about a new series called Snowy Ridge. Yes, 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 it's going to be so much fun. We'll be hitting the icy trails and making our way around the snowy ridges of God's beautiful creation. Check it. We'll be exploring some of winter's most extreme sports, crazy phenomenons, and the cutest little winter animals you've ever seen. You guys, there's just so much to experience here in the great outdoors this time of year. You've got that right, Evie. And here's the deal. All along the way, we'll be learning how to grow our friendship with God. Oh man, it's going to be the best. So grab your friends and bring them in on this super fun time. We'll see you next week. Woohoo! All right, that's talking about our new children's worship service, which will be taking at the, or taking place the same time that the service is here. It'll start at ten thirty um, next Sunday in the sanctuary. And if you're interested in that, please see Justin. If you're interested in volunteering. Or if you're interested in your child being a part of that, we're real excited about this. And we're really hoping that it will uh, take off and be a good opportunity for your children to worship. I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And stand with me if you'll notice on the screen the title of the message this morning is You Are the Man. And as we've been following uh, David's life, we've been following the ups and downs. There have been really more ups than downs. We, we saw God take him from being a shepherd in the fields to killing a giant, to writing some wonderful psalms. Uh, we spent several weeks in Psalm 23, which is one of the most famous psalms ever written. And then we come, we have to go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, you have to. And we saw how that in verse 4, David had a one-night stand with another man's wife, and it changed his life forever. And we also remember, if you remember, David's probably 50 years old, and he had no crises in his life, really, other than Saul chasing him, which God brought him out of and God reminds David of this see when when you sin and you don't confess it and then you come to the point of confession oftentimes the Holy Spirit will remind you of all the good things God has done for you God would oftentimes say this to David how can you despise my name how can you David after all I've done for you despise my commandment and then we get to this point to where Nathan who God sent, who was a prophet whom David respected, goes to David, shares a parable, which we'll read, and then gets to the point, and Nathan makes this great statement. You are the man. Notice verse 1, then the Lord sent Nathan. Now, that's very important. When we talk about spiritual confrontation, my question to you is if you're going to be involved in somebody else's life in this capacity, which is a ministry, make sure God sends you. Okay? Make sure it's God that sends you. If God sends you, you'll have the right spirit, the right words, you'll have the right motive, which a lot of people don't. Nathan loved David. Nathan loved this man. And David loved Nathan. There was great respect between the two. Then the Lord sent Nathan. Notice the word then. All right? It's been about a year later. God's timing is always perfect when it comes to spiritual confrontation. The New Testament word is to admonish somebody. Okay? So be careful that... If, if you're Nathan in somebody's life, you're not judgmental. You go there with a spirit of attitude seeking to restore somebody and be redemptive in their life. Oftentimes people don't do that. You know, you can carry a Bible and be very, very rude and mean. All right? Then, at the right time, God sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, notice how Nathan handles it. How are you going to speak to the king? David could have killed him, even though he's a prophet. You just don't approach a king. 
Nathan says, I'm going to share a story with you, David. Listen to this story. This is so awesome how he does this. There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him, with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. It was like a daughter. Look at the word daughter. That's the Hebrew word bath, where we get the word Bathsheba. Isn't that amazing how Nathan uses this to him? And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb. Isn't that awful? This rich man had all these, all these lambs, and he says, I'm going to take your pet that your family loves. He took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold, because that's what Exodus tells us, fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now look at the, that term fourfold. It's going to play out very big in David's life. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. For the first time, David's been confronted about his sin. You are the man. You're that man. Thus says the Lord of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. And gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been too little, I would have given you much more. Isn't that amazing how God has blessed David's life? From a shepherd boy, a nobody in the field that his brothers didn't even respect, to the king, the most respected king in that region. God had blessed his every step, delivered him, won every battle. God says, how can you do this to me? If you needed more, I would have given it to you. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord and to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall... Now, notice the consequences. Now, listen. The consequences in David's life primarily here are because he's the king. All the teachers look at me. Sunday school teachers. The Bible says... Lord's brother James says, teachers will receive a stricter judgment. Kings receive a stricter judgment. Okay? They just do. Notice the consequences. They're awful. Four, four consequences. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. Notice, God says, you sinned against Bathsheba in your eye, but you've sinned against me. All sin is against God. That's why you confess to God first. You have despised me and have taken the wife of your eye, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. Notice, when God says, I'll raise up enmity between you and your family, it starts in the next chapter of Ammon and Tamar. So David said to Nathan, notice what he says, I have sinned against the Lord. That's confession. That's what some of us probably need to do today, whether you're in this auditorium or in the parking lot or watching on Facebook or be watching on the website later in the future, is I have sinned against the Lord. That is good. This is the first time since chapter 11 started that David has been honest. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. That's what forgiveness, the word means to send away. And that word means to send away forever. Isn't that a blessing? Forgiveness God says, I'll send it away forever. 
He says, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, here's another consequence. Because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child, who, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. Biblical confrontation. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, as I've stated when we started in chapter 11, that Lord, we all have, male and female, we all have a little bit of David in us. Lord, it's our tendency at times in the flesh to try to cover up things that we've done wrong. But Lord, if we just understood how good and how forgiving you were, Lord, help us to come to you before we go to anybody else. And then, Father, for those of us that you have called to be Nathan, help us to have a humble spirit. Lord, help us to have good motives. Help us to go in your timing. Because, Lord, it is a ministry. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful ministry. Father, David's life would not have changed the way it did. We wouldn't have Psalm 32 and 51 if Nathan hadn't went to David. David would have continued living in his guilt, trying to cover it up because he, he was, at that point, so far away from you. Lord, if there's anyone here today like David, Lord, I, help that, I, I pray through the Holy Spirit. Lord, the Holy Spirit would be Nathan in their lives today. And Lord, bring us to a point of confession and forgiveness and deliverance. And we'll thank you and praise you for the things that only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When David committed the sin with Bathsheba and she wrote to him and said, or sent messengers and said, I am with child, or some translations say I am pregnant, David started this elaborate cover-up, didn't he? Imagine what, how David's life would have been different and how chapters 13 through the rest of 2 Samuel would have been different if David would have just owned up to his sin, confessed to Bathsheba, Uriah, and the Lord, and they worked through that process. Child would be born healthy, and then you work through that process, just part of it, you work through it. But no, David had an elaborate plan. David probably thought to himself, there are only a few eyewitnesses, Bathsheba, Joab, but he forgot about another one. In verse 27, of chapter 11 it says but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord God sees all does he not God sees it all God knows all God sees all and David had for some reason forgotten that he probably wrote Psalm 139 after this incident where David talks about the the omnipresence of God where can I go to hide from you God I can't go anywhere if I made like wings and flew you're there if I go to the depths of the earth you're there if I go to the heights of heaven you're there I can't go anywhere from you. You're even in the womb of my mom. You knit me together. David, David understood that God's all-seeing eye sees everything. But David thought that he could just cover it up. It looked like David had literally gotten away with adultery and murder. But just in case you're thinking that, think again. Chapter 12 happens. Notice three things about this chapter. The first one is this, the confrontation. Notice verse 1 on the screen. When the Lord sent Nathan to David, the Lord sent Nathan, God's timing is perfect. This is the best thing that could have ever happened to David. If you read Psalm 32, and I would encourage you to do that, and Psalm 51, and I would encourage you to, and I would encourage you to read those Psalms slowly. Okay? David wrote those after he was confronted by, by Nathan. Read them slowly. And contemplate the wages of sin, because this is what David tells us in those Psalms happened to him that nobody else saw. He had sleepless nights. Can you imagine David trying to go to sleep at night, killing a man? Sleeping beside that man's wife? How can you, how you, there's not enough melatonin in the world to get you to sleep. How are you going to sleep? There's not enough NyQuil to put you to sleep. 
Can you imagine physically how David felt not having sleep? Walking around with that kind of guilt. You know what he said? My bones ache. 50 years old, his bones are aching. That's what he says in Psalm 32. My bones are aching. I'm 50 years old. And it's almost like I got this arthritis coming over me. He had fevers often. He said his tongue would cleave to the top of his mouth because his mouth was dry all the time. All the time. He had haunted memories every day. Didn't matter how good the day was, David knew what he did. That guilt was always there. He lost weight. Happens all the time, does it not? Happens all the time. I, I've, I've been in this community as a minister since the 90s. And it's amazing when I look at a man and he's lost so much weight, and I'll say, Brother, you want to talk about something? Is it Atkins diet, P90X, or something else? And he'll say, I'll call you Tuesday. Isn't it amazing what guilt will do? Just shattered his weight. He said this, he said, listen, I groaned and agonized day and night by himself. David was so alone. The man after God's own heart felt so terribly alone, so many miles from God. Listen, one, one pastor said, read these verses slowly, all of us. Let them take shape in your mind. Don't hurry through them. We need to see afresh the wages of sin. We all do, the wages of sin. In his book, Guilt and Grace, the Swiss writer, physician, and psychiatrist Paul Turner talks about two kinds of guilt. He said there's true and false guilt. False guilt, he says, is brought on by the judgments and suggestions of man, and that can happen. These people think I did that. I didn't do that. These people said this about me, and it brings us false guilt. Why aren't you feeling guilty? You didn't do it. You didn't do it. Why do you care what people think? You didn't do it. You, you look in the mirror and you know, I didn't do that. Then there's true guilt. And it comes from willfully and knowingly disobeying God. And obviously David is enduring true guilt. Chuck Swindoll said this. David wasn't relaxing during this year. Nine months to a year. He wasn't. He wasn't taking it easy. Sipping lemonade on the, his patio. At, during the aftermath of his adultery. Count on it. He had sleepless nights. He could see his sin written across the ceiling of his room as he tossed and turned in bed. He saw it written across the walls. He saw it on the plate where he tried to choke down his meals. And guess what? And I'll tell you this. It's not going anywhere. It never leaves. Never leaves. You can't drink it away or smoke it away. You can't party it away. You can't vacation it away. You can't hobby it away. It's never, ever, ever going anywhere. Ever. It's always going to be there. You know the amazing thing about the movie The Passion of the Christ? When, when people went to the theaters and saw that rendition of Jesus being scourged, dying on the cross for our sins, what wonderful portrayal, biblical portrayal of what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross. And then he rose from the dead. You know what they said happened? Police stations started getting reports that people turned themselves in, some for even murder, because they were under such guilt when they saw the Lamb of God slain and resurrected from the dead that they said, I must turn myself in. And some even said this, I'm glad to have this behind me. Every day the king got up, he had guilt, 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 guilt. So this confrontation by Nathan was a good, godly thing. The New Testament word is the word admonish. Notice this definition on the screen. The word admonish, look at the Greek word. Literally means to place in or on one's mind. It means to warn 
in a good godly sense. Admonition seeks to correct those who are damaging themselves and others by their wrong moral choices. Admonition is a great ministry. It's a tough ministry. I don't like it. I don't, I, I'd rather not have to deal with it. You know, in, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Admonition. When one pastor said this, Ultimately, there are few greater signs of your love for someone than your willingness to risk rejection and broken relationship because we confronted them for their own good. If admonishment is done in the right spirit, with the right motive, using an appropriate method, then the person receiving the admonition will be better for it and will eventually thank us for it. Real Christian community cannot be experienced if there is only acceptance, encouragement, and affirmation. There must also be a place for admonition. Right spirit, right motive, undergirded by love. In, first, in Colossians 3, Paul suggests that the word should be dwelling in us so that we can admonish another person if we have to with all Wisdom, the classic example in the New Testament of, a, of an admonisher, is apparent. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, and we've quoted this all our lives, Bring up your children in the fear or nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Children never need correcting? Yep. If you don't believe me, just come to Truck and Treat tonight and follow Armani around. You'll, you'll, you'll see admonition in place. Paul told the church at Corinth not to shame you, but to admonish you as my dear children. Admonishment should not be done, or admonition should not be done to tear people down or embarrass them, but to help them and build them up. That's why in Galatians it says, You who are spiritual, go to such a one who has fallen in sin, and your goal is to restore them in a spirit of gentleness and meekness. That's the goal. That was Nathan's goal. Paul in Colossians 1.28, notice what he says on the screen. Paul says, We proclaim him, talking about Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect, or the word is mature, in Christ. David would have no maturity in his life had he not gotten past chapter 11. Our goal and admonition should be to help each person to become mature in Christ. It should always be redemptive in nature, if possible, and also confidential. Can that happen in Alexander County? Can anybody keep a secret in this county? I mean, good grief. Can anybody in Alexander County not share what you know about somebody else? Could I make a plea to everybody? Just stop talking about other people. Just stop. The worst thing you could ever do is share somebody else's secrets with the world. That's not admonition. That's not Christian love to share what you know about somebody else. If they've shared the deepest, darkest parts of their heart... I bet you Nathan never mentioned this again. He took it to his grave. Oh, how Nathan could have been the topic of conversation. How did it go with David? Let me tell you what happened. That is not Christian love for anybody. Can you just stop gossiping about people? My goodness, this county beats. We got 110 churches in this county. And if I want to know something about anybody... All I got to do is walk to Walmart or drive or get on Facebook. Please show a little bit of Christian compassion and love for people. God gave David, the problem with David is God gave him a year to repent and he would not. So God sent Nathan. Notice what Nathan says. Notice verse 1 and 2. Notice how he shares with this. He said, then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, 
There were two men in one city, two men, one rich and one poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. Now notice he's pouring it on. Notice what he says. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. And he drank out of his cup. You let your dog or your cat drink out of your cup. You let his little lamb drink out of his. And then eat from his plate. And then he laid in his bosom like a little daughter. One scholar said this, Nathan Nathan is also using words loaded with implication. In fact, the phrase in verse 3, that this little lamb lay in his arms, is the same expression commonly used for a man embracing his wife. And the next phrase, that this lamb was like a daughter, is actually the same Hebrew word which begins the name bath of Bathsheba. This lamb was a bath, like a bath to him. Then notice verse 4, the Bible says this, And the traveler, and that's the same word used of David walking across the roof of his house. And the traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Now notice, don't miss this, David is literally sentencing himself. But isn't it interesting? Listen to this, people. Isn't it interesting to see in David our own ability to condemn condemn others We're doing less than what we've done ourselves. This guy took a lamb, David took a lady. This guy took a lamb, David took a life. And David is so mad at the sin in this man. Isn't it easy for me to point out the sin in your life when I'm doing the same thing? Is it not easy for us to do that? That's why God says you better be careful when you see a speck in somebody else's eye when you got a plank in your own. You have no right to be, your motives to be wrong because it's made out of the same wood, right? You just got more wood. It's so easy for me to judge the sin in your life and not even deal with the sin in my own life. David says, you should, listen, kill this man. Kill him. Kill this man. He deserves death. And he revels in this judgment. David says, the sheep stealer deserves a death penalty. Why? Listen to why. Listen to these reasons, these four reasons. Because he stole something he already had plenty of. Because he acted without pity towards someone who could not defend himself. And because he used his power to do whatever he wanted, and because he ripped the family apart with grief. David did the same thing, did he not? David did the same thing. Listen, David says, as the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die. Can you imagine Nathan just stopping? He probably just stopped and looked David right in the eyeballs, like this. And he looked at David and he said in verse 7, you're that man. Can you imagine David? Commentator said, you, you, you can imagine his jaw probably jo- dropped without dropping. He probably started sweating. Heart started beating faster. Probably felt like passing out. He'd been found out. Confrontation. Notice Proverbs 27, 6 on the screen. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You got any friends like that? Look, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. See, church oftentimes isn't always about encouragement and affirmation. It's about admonishment. The hard ministry of admonition and confrontation. But what a blessing for David. If you read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, which we'll read some of Psalm 51 here at the end, David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation, and God did. But it wouldn't have happened without verses 1 through 15. It would not have happened. It would not have happened. Notice the consequences for David. Notice what the Bible says. Notice on the screen some of these consequences. I'm going to read all these verses. 
uh, Nathan said, because of this, the Lord says, Nathan always says this, the Lord says, or the Bible says, see, when I counsel with people, I try to say this, well, the Bible says, you're telling me this, but I'm going to tell you from the heart, from what I know, the Bible says this, God says this, this is what Nathan says, the sword shall never depart from your house, which means you're going to have people die. David had four sons die from chapter 12 on. Starts in chapter 12 with a baby dying. Behold, I'll raise up adversity against you from your own house. Absalom. It, it, actually, it starts in verse 13 when Amnon raped Tamar, brother and sister. Started right then. Then Absalom in chapter 15 decides he wants his daddy's throne. He says, my dad's, my dad's not a good king. He took four years to talk to the people. He'd stand at the gate and talk to them as they come in and out. Think David's a good king? Is he judging you? Is he giving good judgments? Well, let me give you mine. Then he basically, and then a, a messenger comes to David and said, Absalom's turned all the people's heart in Jerusalem toward him. And David says, he remembers this verse. He remembers, behold, I'll raise up adversity against you from your own house. And guess what David does? He says, get our people and let's leave and go to the woods again. Notice this verse. It's one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. 2 Samuel 15, 23. When David was leaving, listen to what the Bible says in verse 23. And all the land wept aloud as the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron. And all the people passed toward the wilderness. And notice, but David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. Sound familiar? The very mount that Jesus climbed. Weeping as he went barefoot with his head covered. What a king. And all the people who were with him covered their heads. And they went up weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel, who was Bathsheba's grandfather, who never forgot verse 4 of chapter 11, look, is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. What a sad state. Why did this happen? Because of verse 4 of chapter 11 and the fact that David did not repent. Paul David Tripp says this. Listen to what he says about this verse. Now clothed as a mourner, bare feet, head covered, head down, weeps his way up the Mount of Olives. This is a moment to weep. As a father, you would weep because it's unthinkable that your son would do what Absalom's doing. He says, listen, get the full import of this. This is a monarchy. In order to take the throne, the king must die. What a thing to consider. David is weeping for his people whom he loves, whom he can no longer lead. But I believe that the scripture makes it clear that there's another reason for David's weeping. And I believe that the reason is the purpose of this particular passage being retained for us in the Word of God. David is weeping because he understands what's going on at this moment. This is one of the clearest accounts of the consequences of sin, the far-reaching consequences of sin that you'll have in all, your, all the Scripture. And he's not more, just mourning his son, Absalom, who's turned against him. He's mourning the consequences of his own sin. And you get the picture here of how far-reaching the consequences of his sin are. These consequences are not just for David, but they're David's family and they're David's nation. And literally at this moment, apart from the intervening grace and power of God, redemption hangs in the balances. And listen to what he says. Along with David is David's 10-year-old son. You know his name? His name is Solomon. Go back to the previous slide. Notice what else the Bible says. And I'll take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of, of, of this son. Did that happen? Go, go to uh, 2 Samuel 16. Notice what the Bible says. 
So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house where David saw Bathsheba, very same place, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. Isn't that so disgusting? God said, that's what's going to happen. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Let me read this to you. This is what happened. Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. One night stand. Better think long and hard, people. Think long and hard before you get into this instance. One scholar says, Absalom abused his father's concubines on the housetop and happily on the same terrace from whence he first looked, flocked, and lusted after Bathsheba. The sad consequences of reaping what you sow. Look at verse 4 of this chapter, and that's why this happens, because he would not repent. But notice, we end on a good note. Notice the confession, if you will, the third thing and most important thing. This is the David we should all look up to. As I said at the beginning of this, David was... Israel's greatest king, he was their greatest poet, their greatest musician, their greatest warrior, but he was also their greatest repenter. David repented. He repented. He asked God for forgiveness. Listen to what he says in Psalm 51. You don't have to turn there. Verses 1 through 4, he said, this is what he writes after his sin with Bathsheba. It says the two, he says, Psalm 51, a prayer of repentance to the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. David says this in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. That word transgression is a bad word. David just says transgression to God. He went into detail. I've acknowledged it. My sin is always before me. Not going anywhere. My sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David says, I, if, you're, if, you're, if you're just, I'm getting what I deserve. You're a just God and I'm getting what I deserve. I am guilty before God and all the court of heaven, I am guilty. That's confession. Then he goes on to say in verse 10, God created me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And he's teaching us right now. And sinners shall be converted to you. That don't just mean lost people. It means people that are living in sin. God can bring these people back. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Deliver me, he says, from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. And only God can do that. Only God can take that guilt away. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips because the singer of Israel hadn't sung a song in a year. Hadn't written a song in a year. You can't live with this guilt and this sin and write songs about Jesus and sing them. You just can't do it. And my mouth shall show forth your praise for you do not desire a sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. There's not enough goats and cows to kill. Just not enough. You can't tithe enough or memorize enough scripture. You've got to confess your sin. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. How many times did God mention despising in chapter 12? Three or four in about three verses? You despise my name. You despise my word. You despise my commandment. And David says, but you do not despise a broken and contrite spirit. 
getting real with God. God forgives. Moses asked to see God, and he received this defining revelation from what God is like. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. What a great God to serve. What are the characteristics of God's forgiveness? God forgives all sin. There's no sin too great for God to forgive. All sin. Adultery, murder, He forgives it all. He forgives it all. God forgives in an instant. Isn't that amazing? How quickly God forgives. Tonight, it was October 30th, 1990, about 7.25 p.m., give or take a few minutes. I bowed my heart before the King of Kings and asked God to save me. So, God, I'm a sinner. I have no hope without you. I placed my faith and trust in the resurrected Christ. That quick, my life changed forever. In an instant. Justified, sanctified, glorified. Election had taken place. God had saved me for eternity. When you ask for forgiveness with a broken and contrite spirit, and you're honest with yourself, because David hadn't been honest with himself for a year, God forgives in an instant. He forgives those who want it. He forgives those who want it, and then God never brings it back up. He, the psalmist says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Never to bring them back up again. God's forgiveness should lead to holy living. I don't know that David ever had a problem with this the rest of his life. Because he confessed his sin and he forsook it. You remember David when he, when he walks out in 2 Samuel 15, crosses the brook Kidron and up the Mount of Olives? The weeping king, there was another weeping king. Tripp puts it this way. I want to say one final thing about this passage. You cannot read the name, the brook Kidron, and the location of the Mount of Olives without thinking about another king. There was another king who crossed the brook, who went up the Mount of Olives to pray. He too was a weeping king, a savior king, Emmanuel, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't weeping for his own sin because he had none, but he was wrestling at the thought of taking onto his shoulders the sin of mankind. He was not weeping because his kingdom was broken, his struggle wasn't that because his kingdom had come. And in an act of submission to the will of the Father, he would break the power of the kingdom of darkness and make us able to walk in the presence of an absolutely holy God and confess our sin and know that we will find forgiveness and power and deliverance because this king was not only a king, he was a sacrificial lamb and in his self-sacrifice, we receive our forgiveness. I challenge you today, confess or conceal. That's your choice. I'm going to ask your musicians to come. And as they come, in just a, a quiet attitude, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And I would ask you this in the quietness of this moment of Beverly Place. Are you concealing anything in your life right now? As a Christian, are you concealing anything in your life right now? Are you hoping people don't find out? Friends, in love, I say this, God knows. God loves you, and God offers forgiveness to you, and only God can forgive. Are you living with guilt today? As a lost person, I lived with guilt, the guilt of my sin, and only, only Jesus could cleanse me from that. If you're lost today, place your faith and trust in Jesus. Confess your sin of being lost and place your faith and trust in Jesus. If you're here today and you're a born-again Christian, if you're living in a similar situation as David, that guilt will never 
go away. Sin has its season. And then we reap what we sow. Reap good things. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for loving us. Father, I pray that we would be a church full of people who confess and repent our sins. Lord, as I said before, we all have a little bit of David in us. We all do. Lord, I pray that we'd have this part of David in us where we could confess and take responsibility for our lives. Father, some of us in here have to be Nathan, and it's a very difficult place. Lord, we're so thankful for this gift of confrontation and admonishment done right. Lord, it, it can change whole families. So, Father, help us to be a church that doesn't look down on others, but love others and try to be redemptive in their lives. Not to be judgmental, but, Lord, with a spirit of gentleness and meekness. Lord, help us help our brothers and sisters in Christ return to the joy of the salvation that only you can give. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for the things that you alone can do through your word. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together, amen. Will you stand with us as Sharon leads us in a song and then we'll be dismissed. Sunday.